Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track, and it is time to drop the hammer. Well, we made it to episode number eight, almost to double digits here on Off the Track. Welcome back to today's Dirt Track Racing podcast here on a Wednesday evening. I'm your host, Tanner Holmes, and to my left, I have my best friend and co-host of Off the Track, Bennett Gooch. Bennett, what are you up to? Uh, not much. You know, we just got back behind the wheel for the first time in the <clears throat> open in your cart last weekend. And then, uh, like normal, the races got done. We hung out for a bit, talked a little bit, and we got on the road and uh, we went straight here. Uh, we had a pretty relaxing day yesterday. Uh, we shot a video, we ran the backyard track, and then now here we are on Monday. Uh, just shooting the podcast. Absolutely. So you guys are going to be watching this on a Wednesday. That's when it's going to be airing to the YouTube channel. We are shooting this on a Monday, like Bennett touched on. Had another busy weekend at the Red Bluff Outlaws. Today, we are not going to be having a guest. As we said in episode number one, Off the Track is going to have some episodes where we have a guest deep dive with them and talk about their story, what they've been up to recently in the racing world. And we've already had a couple of those guests. The first one was my younger sister. Carly. Carly yep. She was episode number two. Then we got the chance to talk to Rico over the phone. And then after that, we had Kyler Shaw, the owner yep. of Fast Four Media here in studio. And then our last episode, which if you miss this one, you need to go and watch it or listen to it right now. My car owner, Jimmy Elledge for episode number seven, which had two parts. It was almost two hours of content. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, probably one of my, that was my favorite episode we oh, yeah. shot so far. Lots of cool stories. I mean, really through all the guests, we had a ton of great stories with all of them, but Jimmy, you know, with an insight in NASCAR and being a crew chief and his story along the way uh, is super cool. And uh, like you said, we had two hours of uh, content and uh, we might have to go back and get some more with some of these guests because there's a lot of stories and it's kind of hard to fit it all in, uh, you know, 30 minutes to 40 minutes worth of time. Yeah, we got to spend a little bit of extra time there in that last episode with him in his office. So like I said, if you missed it, you need to go check it out, especially if you're into our circle and what we're up to on a weekly basis racing. Jimmy's a big part of my career. I obviously drive the factory QRC house cart, which he owns that. He also owns QRC. So if you're interested in what's going on, uh, going on here along the West Coast with Outlaw Carts, what, I, what I'm up to, you definitely need to check that out. Mm -hmm. So we're going to dive into today's episode. We're going to talk a lot about the Red Bluff Outlaws, what happened this past weekend. A lot of it with Bennett, because yep. like he said, he got back behind the wheel of an Outlaw Cart. We're going to touch on NASCAR a little bit and what happened in the news this last weekend. And then we are going to get into some West Coast National stories. Because West Coast National is coming up. It's almost here. Probably, actually, I didn't check the calendar. It's got to be like 10 days away. It's like two weeks, yeah. Two weeks, 10 days, somewhere in there. Uh, the first night of the West Coast Nationals here for 2021 yeah. is going to be on tap. So we're going to talk about some of our favorite West Coast National stories. We got some footage to share with you, and we're going to get all of that here in episode number eight. First off, though, like I said, Bennett, you ran an outlaw cart this last weekend. Take over the mic. Talk a little bit about your weekend in the Holmes Racing number 18T. Yeah, it was it was different for sure. Like we said, I think in the podcast, two podcasts prior, I got to turn some laps in an open uh, at it like a play day on Sunday and then really getting back into the, the swing of racing and open at Red Bluff. It's been over... I think a year, a, like a year and a couple of days. So it was definitely unique, unique getting back. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was a little rusty. I went out for qualifying. Uh, we didn't necessarily have the right setup on. We were a little tight and then the silencer came off. 
Yeah, um, one of the springs okay. holding the yep. silencer on the CR500 popped off, and I knew you were in trouble right away yeah. because when this happens, uh, the motor obviously does not yep. make the right norm, normal noise. Well, it was yeah, extremely loud. It was super weird too. Like normally you wouldn't you wouldn't think like it affects you, but right as it happened, I was like, okay, what's going on? And then I realized, yep, silencer came off. But I was just like, oh no, what what's going on? So you know, when you only have two three laps to qualify at Red Bluff, and that's it. Uh, just one mistake that gets in your head like that just kind of throws you off. So that kind of put us behind the eight ball fairly quick. We qualified, I think, 34th out of, you know, 30, I think 37, 37. So definitely not the fastest car on the track, but you know, that's all right. Coming back after a year. And then, um, it was super fun. We went out for the heat race. Uh, I think you, you didn't have the greatest luck this weekend, which sucked, but, uh, we started deep in the heat race. I think we were starting last or second to last. And then, uh, I think by halfway we were up to fourth fighting for third and then a caution came out and then, uh, we restarted fourth and we gave it a val- we gave it a valuable or a value effort and we got all the way, just finished fourth. Um, I Which, hang on, I got to interrupt you. So this is yeah. the part I'm excited about. So I love, I love Bennett's enthusiasm in racing and we're going to play the footage here. This will be the first piece of yeah. footage we want to share with you, which will be in your vlog going across the line. <laughs> Bennett has his arm full on out the window yeah. with the fist pump and a wheelie all at the same time after his eight to fourth heat race. run. Yeah. So if you don't know about red bluff, when you start in the back heat races are so tough to pass uh, oh, we only have eight laps right incredibly tough tracks fast right and so i starting there i know i'm in the d main so it's like well you know it's really tough to run the d the c all the way to the b and then the a uh, especially since each all like the competition in each one of those mains is so stout and gets harder and harder right as you go so uh, going out there you know i'm nervous i'm like shoot uh, i just want to make it to the b main at least i mean that's that's a solid run for sure in a heat race so uh, there was a start and then there was a jump start, which was kind of good. Cause you know, gave me a little time to run with some cars and then there's the actual official start. And so, uh, we started, we worked our way up and then I was counting off cars. I was like, Hey, I need the next one to get into the C main and then into the, the B main. And so when we got to the C main, I was stoked. And then, uh, we made the pass for the B main and you know, I was just counting down the laps and I seen two to go from the flagger. And then next thing you know, we got white flag coming around. I threw it down to the bottom in three and four just absolutely pulled the clutch and let it rip fist out the window. I mean, after a year of not racing and to really, honestly, if you go straight to the A main in the opens, it's awesome. It just clears your mind. All you know, you have to do is race for fun at that point, really. Yeah. But to make it all the way from being locked into the D main straight to the B main, just knowing I don't have to run those two extra mains really helps a lot. And I was stoked. I was like, well, this is perfect. Don't have to run the soup. Don't have to change setup because really when you're running, uh, I think, you know, cause you ran some this weekend when yeah. you run from the D to the C to the B, uh, you kind of make setup changes and all those races are back to back. Like there's a race in between, right? Yeah. It's so quick. So it, the D main was yeah. the first lower main that rolled out this weekend. I yeah. know that because I was in it. Yep. So you have the D main, then there's a race or two in between, then the C, then there's a couple races and then in the B and the track's always changing. So what yeah. Bennett's really t- talking about is, you know, you have your heat race set up and your heat race setup is probably similar to your D main setup because about, they're yeah. so close and there's not a lot of races in between those. 
and then the C, it might change a little bit. And then the B, it's probably definitely going to change for sure because the track is getting closer and closer to kind of what we would run in an A main event. Yeah. But the, the racing surface this weekend at Red Bluff was actually really good. I oh, thought yeah. the heat races were probably the best we've seen them in at least a couple of weeks. Not only that too, uh, like you said, the heat races were great. I think uh, when the time for the 250B or A main rolled out, uh, it kind of gave me some memories when we were running 250s yeah. because the track was slick. So you could get away with an 11 if you kind of knew what you were doing. But definitely a 33 was kind of the way to go just to get the extra grip when it got hot. And I think that provided for some of the best races we've seen all year. I mean, that 250B main was pretty good. Yeah, there was a lot of great racing at Red Bluff this weekend. So like you talked about, you made it into the B main event. Yep. I guess tell everyone uh, watching kind of how that went for you. And and the mayhem, all lower mains are mayhem at Red okay. Bluff and in a lot of different series. But Red Bluff in particular, six transfer, 16 cars on the track. Yeah. It, uh, it, it, I like to describe it as like a hornet's nest. Yeah, so the thing with the B main and the Red Bluff, especially for the opens is if you're really not in the top two you're not safe and i don't want to say that as like you know you're not fast or someone's gonna wreck you or something but really so much can happen because everyone's fighting and so when we started i think i was rolling like seventh or eighth or whatnot and it was the start of the race so i was kind of running conservative well i'm running conservative just trying to hit my marks trying to get fast but you got to realize everyone from eighth on back to 16th is running as hard as possible. So uh, I got a slider throat on me, um, should have clutched it, but I killed it. So that was one spin right there. And then, uh, we were just racing hard. I think I got it back up to eighth or whatnot. I was racing hard with Trace Adams, a good buddy. And then, uh, I think there's a pretty good wreck in turns one and two. And I, I was following Trace through it and I didn't see, I think it was the 21 car was stopped coming out of two. And we just squared it up. I didn't get to grab the clutch uh, fast enough, but you know, it was super fun while it lasted. I can't complain. I made it to the B main. My goal was the A main, but uh, for a year of not racing, getting back right in to the hornet's nest of Red Bluff in the open division, super fun. And I can't wait to go back. No, that was, that was awesome to get to watch you and watch, you know, the Holmes car, the car I run at Roseburg, yeah. you know, go around Red Bluff because uh, that, that thing hasn't been around that place in probably a couple of years. No, that car was super good. Like I really liked it, but there was one issue. Uh, you'll see this in my video, I think, and you saw it uh, yesterday. So there's there's two tabs on the cage mount, and that's where you mount your dash, and you run the dash. Some people don't run the dash. You don't really need it for the CR500s, but for the four-stroke, you have your gauges uh, and your ignition switch on there. Yeah. Well, that one tab on the left side, I'm so dang tall, and you know, I kind of just ran his setup. You're six, you're what? Six, six, one, three, six, six three. three, yeah, six, three in an outlaw cart. So we just moved the pedals forward in it and I was sitting in your seat. So it's just kind of mounted where it was, you know, it was comfortable. It wasn't bad at all, but my left knee was like right below the cage. So in an open, when you're just bouncing around or whatnot, that cage just kept hitting my knee. My knee is so bruised and sore and swollen. Like on Sunday, I, like the whole race, I, you know, you don't really focus on what's kind of hurting while you're racing or any anything, anything that's really uncomfortable. Right. But uh, after a while there, when we'd get a caution, I was like, what is going on? And then I looked down, well, that dang cage is just destroying my kneecap. So I was thinking, shoot, if we get a front impact, my knee's gone. We're going to the hospital. But other than that, the car was really, really phenomenal. Um, there's not really much I think and I had a great on power plant. Oh, on yeah. It. No, that motor was super good. I don't think that motor has been pulled out of the shop for over a couple of years either. So. Uh, to get that thing back out and running, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, so it was great to watch Bennett race this yeah. weekend. Like I touched on for a minute, my weekend did not go to plan at all. Uh, a rough points race number 11. Just about everything that could have went wrong for the factory QRC number 18 T did. Yeah. We had a great heat race, and I, I'll touch on that. I said that the heat races were super exciting this yeah. weekend. Mine was door to door. The top four, you could have thrown a blanket over us the whole time. We had one restart, uh, slide jobs. I was running the bottom. A couple guys were working the top. And then on the last lap, the 8JR in front of me blew mm -hmm. up as we were just pretty much I was, nose, to tail. I, yeah, nose to tail would be the best way to say it uh, going into turns one and two. And that just shows how quickly your night can go from being in the redraw, yeah. having a chance to be on the front row. You could take the back row challenge for $10,000 if you wanted to, yep. to being on the pole of the D main event and having some alphabet soup for the night. And I was not able to make it through the alphabet soup. Like we've been saying, uh, once you're back there in some of those races, you're kind of just along for the ride. You right. can put yourself in position. You can do all these different things. But at the end of the day, you can get caught up in someone else's mess. Yeah. You can have issues. And if the cards don't go your way, it's really tough to go from the D or the C to the A main event. Well, not only that, too. It's like you have to find the balance in a lower main uh, between running conservative and safe because there's going to be crashes in front of you but also running hard and moving through cars. But another mention I was going to ask you about, because this has happened to me by this kid right here. Uh, I've been running in a transfer spot second in the heat race. How important is it to know what line to go to? Because uh, Logan's done it to me. You've done it to me. You, I've thought, you know, if I just put it on the bottom, there's no way anyone's going to root me out or get around me. But then when you get around the bottom, this kid comes just hauling around the top to get me. I think it was out of the last corner of the heat yeah. race. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you ever think going into the white flag when you're second in a heat race, like, shoot, do I go to the top or bottom? Because obviously, usually the top's faster, but the bottom is a great protecting line. So I know it's kind of difficult. I think it, in any series, not just Red Bluff, it's so important to, you know, have that game plan ahead of time. Yeah. And also, you have to know who you're racing with. This right. last weekend, I had a couple guys that are just up on the wheel type drivers, not necessarily dirty or anything, but yeah. like, for example, Chase Hill, shout out to him. He was really, really quick this weekend. And him and I went back and forth for a couple of laps yeah. and watching the footage. It was like we were really, really close door to door, nerf bar to nerf bar. And even one time, he slid me into turn three mm -hmm. where I checked up, but like the slide job came from a good amount of ways back and there was yeah. just enough of a hole to fit through. And that's and what you got to do at Red Bluff. You have to, you yeah. absolutely have to make those moves. Any little hole that you can try to fit through, as long as you can do it in a clean matter, I think every single guy is going to take that opportunity, yeah. but just trying to run the right line. It's so important. And I think a lot of it also depends on the track conditions, right? The bottom and top have been super even in the heat races. And I found this last week weekend that my car was just so much happier on the bottom. Yep. And that's also, I guess a little bit safer because because if you're running the bottom, if as long as you hit it right, yeah. you know, no one's gonna drive under you, but there is a chance they're gonna drive around you. So yeah. it all just depends on track conditions and whatnot. But definitely knowing who you're racing around, what the track is doing, I would say at Red Bluff, nothing is safe uh, right. until you cross the checkered yeah. flag. Yeah, that's definitely the case for sure. And I always uh, going into that, I was just thinking to myself, we just need to get through this last corner. Uh, so I dove down to the bottom and we got off there good. But uh, talking about racing at Red Bluff this week, I also brought the cage clone class or the cage clone cart. Uh, I think I got a text on Friday saying, hey, do you uh, do you want to race? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Well, I guess the guy that's kind of putting on the cage clone deal texted me, said we're going to run like an exhibition race at Red Bluff before the dashes. So in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, that's fine. And then I think the open C main was getting ready to roll out and they took like a five minute break. 
And Brandon, the promoter, gets on the mic. He's like, hey, Benaguch, get to the car now. We're going out for the cage clone deal if you want to. And I'm like, wait, what? So I don't even know where any of my stuff is. I don't have a setup on the car. All I did was mess with it, the you gear. You had air in the tires, right? No. like So, yeah, that's the funny thing is my dad's yelling at me because I was coming back from my uh, trailer to get a like a three or a 50 to put on the open cart he's like hey you're going out for the clone deal and i was like what the heck is going on so we get that deal down and i get in it and uh, my i'm telling my dad just put as much air in that deal as possible because uh it, it hops so bad if you don't have enough air so uh i think we were over 20 pounds in the right <laughs> rear when we actually went out and i went out there and kind of turned some laps for the first time with other clones and we were hauling we were rolling around them and then uh, that was super fun but i got got back to their got back to the trailer and I was like so what'd you do for air he's like I didn't do I don't know we don't know what air we put in we just put that deal in there and we ran and uh you know for running 20 plus pounds of air in the right rear I think it was pretty good and then we went out at the end of the night and we raced hard we were kind of pulling away so our program the cage clone program is coming together nicely because the cage clone classic is the one race I want to win. I want to be the first person to win it. The yard cart nationals is uh, we're coming and we're coming hard to win this deal. That's going to be exciting to watch. Bennett's cage clone program is so fun to follow along with. And yeah. like he said, we are looking forward to that Thursday because West Coast nationals yeah. coming up. They are going to run them on Thursday night. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is when the outlaw carts compete yeah. for all the Eagles. I think there's even some money up on the line for the cage clones. I think so. Not confirmed how much yet, but I think it's maybe around around like 150 or 200 dollars so well, cover your entry fee i've been definitely told someone's thinking we're going to get maybe 30 to 50 clones and that is a lot and i don't think they anticipate that i think they were kind of thinking oh, maybe we might get like 10 to 15 like a field but if we get that many that's going to be nuts and that's going to be super cool but a quick mention uh everyone when i got out of that first time they're like is your head hitting on the cage and tanner was kind of one of the first people to notice that because i'm running in a 250 framing cage my head is literally less than an inch from the top of There's the There's not much head clearance. No, so we need to get that deal lifted for sure. But I pulled off the track and everyone's like, are you, are you hitting your head on your cage? And I was like, no, I think I'm good. And they're like, well, good thing you didn't tip it up. Because if I tipped it up, I wouldn't be rolling out of there. I'd be rolling on a gurney to the hospital. I'll tell you what. Yeah. So Bennett, we're going to fix that. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to get it all ready to go for yeah. the Cage Clone Classic, Yard Cart Nationals, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So my luck at the Red Bluff Outlaws was not there on Saturday night. And then on our drive home, Bennett said earlier that, you know, after the Red Bluff Outlaws, we're kind of on a schedule to shoot these podcasts. So like every other week, Bennett drives drives home in his vehicle and I drive with him back to Oregon, which is a three hour trek uh, north here to the southern part of the state where we're at. And we do that so we can shoot these podcasts in batches. So then he doesn't have to come up every single week because obviously that's a little bit of a drive. And on our way home, we probably left around 1130, almost midnight. It was, right. it was pretty late. Yeah. So go down I-5. First, like this was a crazy drive home. First thing that happens, yeah. we're going right by uh, Mount Shasta, going through the lake, the canyon. And all of a sudden I look up and there was something sitting in the road that we almost hit. Mm -hmm. so, whatever the semis were hauling in front of us, there was barely anybody on the freeway besides two semis that were just veering off to the right. And one of them lost whatever they were carrying yeah. and it was all over the road. It looked like concrete. So we almost hit that. Yeah. Bennett was able to swerve into the lane and luckily no one was around us. Then when we were about an hour away from home, there was, there was a pack of deer in Wairika yeah. that you, you, we almost took out two deer <laughs> or a pack, I guess you could say. 
almost went through the windshield. Yeah, we were going the speed limit through Wairika, and you know, I had my brights on and everything, and out of nowhere, like, these bucks just come running across the freeway, and I swerved, like, some Daytona stuff, passing the grass almost off the freeway, and I think you woke up, and you're like, what is going on? Because I, I was falling like, asleep. I felt bad. I was trying to stay yeah. awake, but I was at the point where I couldn't, and, and that's that's a funny thing that runs yeah. in the Holmes family, I guess, or with anyone, but we have this deal. Like, once we hit a certain point, the Holmes, we're, <laughs> we're done. We're asleep. Yeah. So that happened, yeah. and then uh, what we ended up doing, we make it off the freeway. Like, all right, we made it safe. We're good. It's almost 3 a.m., yeah. and so obviously super late. And then we roll through, we were going to stop and get gas because yeah. Bennett only had 13 miles to go. Well, yeah. So I, I leaving Red Bluff, I knew how many miles I needed in the tank. And I was like, oh, we're, we're going to get there if we go to the gas station I was thinking about. And it would have been fine. Well, we get to the gas station and- Which is like 10 minutes from my house. If that, yeah. Like five, 10 minutes from the house. And I'm rolling in kind of, you know, 10 miles till empty. And I'm like, oh, we're, we're perfect. We get to the gas station. I try two of them and they are not pumping gas. And I'm like- well, we're walking home. So <laughs> your dad was already home at the, at the time. So we kind of gave him a call and said, hey, should we, you know, like, hey, just know we might not make it home for one and for two. You might need to bring us some gas. Right. And so the issue with that was is from that gas station, we could go to your house. But if we get to your house, I'm out of gas. So I'm not getting to a gas station. And option number two was to go from uh, the gas station to another gas station. Which, which was, was just a little bit past my house. Right. A little bit farther. So... We were, we were really rolling the dice on either one. So we decided to roll the dice and go to the second gas station. And uh, if you want to talk about what happened there. So pretty much the best way to explain this, you guys know I'm from this little town of Jacksonville. 2,500 people. When it's late at night, there's nobody on the road. Right. So we roll past the turnoff for my house. We're cruising into town. Like I said, this tiny place. Like Not many people live there. This there's, is one, there's one main street. This is NASCAR Sonoma style. The car is off in neutral. Yeah, we are saving gas. Bennett put it in neutral, turned it off because it kind of goes downhill as you roll towards main street. And then where there's the one and only grocery store, the one and only gas station. And beforehand, I'd got off the phone with my dad because he recommended that we just try to make it to the gas station. He said, watch out the Jacksonville cops out because there's like one cop that just rolls through town. Yeah. Sure enough, we roll up right to where we need to do one little right turn and head a couple blocks down and we'll be at the gas station. We see the cop and I was like, oh, you know, my dad said he was yeah. out. Well, sure enough, Bennett accidentally had his brights on because we were driving through. Some of the roads are kind of yeah. dark. and Well, it's not illegal either. I just had my brights on because, you know, we don't want to hit no deer or nothing and the car is off. Yeah. We're just rolling in neutral. And the cop flashed flashed at us. Yeah. So, you know, telling us to turn off our brights. And we did. Uh, just It took Bennett a second because, like I said, we were literally watching how much fuel we had. And we knew and we were probably going to make it, but we were still just being careful. In the time I was when he flashed me, I was in the process of putting it in drive and turning it back on because we were at the stop, lo stop sign. And so it took me a second. So I turned him off. And then uh, I see this car turn around behind us. And I tell Terry, I said, well, we're getting pulled over. Yeah, there's no way he's just not going to flip a Yui because he's coming out us yeah. there's no way he's turning around to follow us and tailgate us so he gets on our back bumper yeah. and he's tailgating us and Bennett's like he's about to flip on his lights yeah sure enough he flips on his lights and like all right we're getting pulled over <laughs> and like I said we were doing 10 miles under the speed limit just we're coast, out of gas. coasting to this stop sign so the cop pulls us over I tell Bennett hey just pull off right here into this yeah. little parking lot we do like I said earlier, nobody on the road. We're 50 feet from the gas yeah, station, mind we're, you. We're literally a couple blocks from the gas station. So the cop walks up to the window and he literally said that he thought we were a drunk driver because Bennett did not get his brights off yeah. in time. 
And in my opinion, he was almost just harassing us. Yeah. We couldn't find our registration That's for the, the vehicle. That's the funny part. Yeah, he said, uh, I need your license and registration. So I've never been pulled over before. And my mom's always said like, oh, this is what you need. I'm like... I'm not, I'm not doing anything illegal. I don't need that. So, uh, I, he, I give him my license cause that's in my wallet. And then he's like, well, I need your like registration or some form of insurance or whatever. And so I'm telling Tanner, okay, pull everything out of the glove box. <laughs> and in the glove box, I've got like sponsor letters and in my everything. center console, I got like chargers and CDs and stuff. We couldn't and find anything that the <laughs> cop needed. It's so funny. Cause we had all this paperwork and stuff. We're just flipping through and I'm like telling this guy, yeah, I got it. So I give him this paper, not thinking, and it was two years expired. And he's like, yep, yeah, that's not the one, bud. And I was like, well. Like so, and like we said, it's yeah. 3 a.m. We're sitting in this dark parking lot, no one on the road. So the cop just, I don't know if he needed to meet his quota for the month or something. So he pulled us over and eventually he let us off with the warning yeah. for a second. I thought he was going to give us a ticket because he, he literally joked about it. Then it was like, yeah, this is my first time being pulled over. He's like, oh, this might be the first time you get a ticket as well. I know. And I was like, dude, I, why well, I knew in my head, I didn't do anything illegal. I mean, I told him I was, you know, we were Sonoma style rolling in on we fumes explained that we just yeah. came from red bluff it's 3 a.m we're just trying to make it home we live right behind us yeah and anyway so that's our funny story of getting pulled over this last weekend and we we're able to make it to the gas station yep. filled up and then headed home and that was our weekend at red bluff pretty much so on that note if you guys have any funny stories of being pulled over by the cops after the races speeding anything like that drop it down in the comment section down below we would be super interested to hear that in other news mm -hmm. we wanted to touch on before we talk about the West Coast Nationals and what's coming next, uh, Kyle Larson got it done this weekend at right. Las Vegas, which I think was a huge win for the whole dirt track racing community. Oh, 100% too. And I know Kyle coming back, so much anticipation from the fans. Uh, a lot of people upset he's not going to be racing the local dirt tracks or series. He's still going to hit a few races, but also a lot of people, me, myself included, and I thank you as well, we're super excited to see Larson come back to the sport uh, the top level NASCAR, the cup series and show them really what dirt racers can do. And, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, the first two races of the season were top 10 finishes. And then to come out in Vegas, so much speed, wherever he ran on the track to get it done. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I'm going to predict right now, I think he's going to win the cup series championship this year. He's been super fast and also to be on a top tier team, not that yeah. Ganassi wasn't, but he definitely made the equipment look better than what it was. Right. And now to be in a top ride, he's got some good backing behind him and have like this comeback story. I don't see how he doesn't win the championship right. this year. Kyle's a heck of a dude. I've obviously hung out with him a little bit at Red Bluff, uh, some of the other outlaw cart races, his own race, the Kyle Larson outlaw cart mm -hmm. showcase. Owen, his son is a huge fan of the videos we love and we're hoping to get him in another video soon yep. if he's able to make it to Red Bluff or Cycleland. But like I said, Kyle, he's unbelievable. He won 40-something races this year in dirt, and I think it's only carrying over now into NASCAR. And I think I'm going to go ahead and make the prediction, too. Uh, it's going to be Larson that's going to get it done at Bristol Dirt Race. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think he's running, I think, isn't he running the sprint cars and a late model there, too? Possibly. I'm not sure yet because I know he's running one of them for sure. So I think he's going to sweep that. Yeah. With how, cool. with how versatile he's been hopping in the late model, spanking the best in late models, yeah. spanking the best in sprint cars. Uh, this year looks pretty bright for Kyle Larson, even though he's going to be doing a bunch of cup series stuff and the couple of sprint car races, he is going to be able to run 
watch out. He'll probably be in victory lane. Yep. So now we want to jump into the main part of this episode, the West Coast Nationals. Now, you've heard us talk about this in other YouTube videos. I have quite a few vlogs from previous West Coast Nationals here on the YouTube channel. But if you're new, real quickly, we will explain it. The West Coast Nationals is the biggest outlaw kart right. race of the year. It may not pay the most, but it has the most prestige behind it. Being at Red Bluff, the competition, and I would say is probably the toughest event to win. Well, not only that, too. Right when you walk in, you notice these trophies are unlike any other trophy. They're a golden eagle, uh, gold for the most part, and they're huge and they're heavy. Like, you know, it's a big wingspan on these trophies, and this is like one of the most coveted trophies you can win in outlaw kart racing. Yeah, if you have one of these on or in your shop, I should say, in your room somewhere, uh, you've definitely done, done something in Outlaw Carts, whether it was in Beginner Box, Sportsman, Open 250, Box Stock, it doesn't matter. They all mean the same. They all look the same. You absolutely beat the best of, be the best of the best of your class that year if you have a West Coast Nationals Eagle. Yeah, so this race is huge. I think this year it's probably going to pay somewhere around the $2,000 mark in Opens, which is pretty decent. It's starting to go up uh, as it has the last couple of years, but... But last year in 2020, the race was canceled. So yeah. we haven't had a West Coast Nationals for almost 700 days. Uh, if you think about it, if someone doesn't claim the back row challenge this weekend, technically that could be worth 12 grand to win, right? It's going to be two grand it, plus the 10 that's up for grabs. Yeah, it's going to be somewhere in that range for right. West Coast. And I don't know how they're going to do that because last time they offered it to quite a few drivers and they all took it. No one has won it yet, but it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Uh, West Coast Nationals, though, like we touched on, huge race. And to kind of get started with some of our favorite moments from this event, we've had quite a few, whether it was on the track or off the track. I want to talk about my first West Coast Nationals because yeah. I know some of the people watching, maybe younger drivers or even parents of some of those younger drivers that are coming to Red Bluff for the first time, you might be able to relate to my story. So we came to Red Bluff in 2010, it was was right at the beginning of the year. We had never ran there before. We ran the last race of the season to get some experience of the place. Mm -hmm. We had won a bunch of races in Oregon. So we're going into this thinking, you know, we're, we're top guy. We're, it doesn't yeah. matter. We haven't ran here. We're going to spank these guys. They can't be that good. Well, sure enough, I don't think I made it out of the C main my first ever night at Red Bluff and beginner box. We went and run uh, ran the West Coast Nationals the following week. I ended up upside down. I wrecked the leader in the heat race going three laps down in a heat race. Uh, yeah. I, I ballparked the leader in the wall. We both go flipping. And that was my first West Coast Nationals. And then, like I said, after that, I don't think I made it out of the C or the B main event to make it into the beginner box A. And that was probably back when the competition wasn't even as stout as it is now. Yeah. So I can only imagine showing up to Red Bluff for the first time. And a lot of guys do that for this event because, you know, it's four days. If you're out of town, it makes the most sense than just running, a, you know, a regular Saturday yeah. show. And not only that, too, I think one of my <laughs> favorite memories of going to the West Coast Nationals at such a young age. Do you remember what age you were? I was probably seven, six or seven years old. Yeah. So uh, that was like the only race that was ran on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because yeah. it was a three day show. Even I think in between there, there was a two day show at one point. Uh, I would be so stoked to get out of school on Friday or yeah. my dad would come pick me up with the race trailer and or like a half day or something. Yeah. The teachers were like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going racing. It's the West coast nationals. And like, I remember the whole first half of that day and it was only testing tune, I think on Friday or maybe there's a, some dashes or something like that. Uh, I would be, I would, I couldn't focus in school. I was just always just like 
let's get out here. I'm going racing. Yeah, so. no, I can totally relate to that. Come down on Friday and get to do a multiple day show at Red yeah. Bluff, which is pretty rare because all their stuff's obviously only single day, but that's just how this event was. And it's grown over the years. We didn't have it in 2020. So now 2021, I think is going to be only bigger. And to get started with our first West Coast Nationals moment, this is from my point of view, was in 20, uh, let's see, it was in 2017. I had one of my craziest back and forth roller coaster, whatever you want to call it, uh, West Coast Nationals to date. I just won the 250 championship at the Red Bluff Outlaws. So I was going to be running 250s and opens. And in 250, I guess you could say I was the favorite to win. We had won eight races that season. So we had a ton of momentum, but everything went downhill. We broke the first night didn't finish either heat race. So we're literally sitting almost the lowest in points in 250s. Yeah. It was also my first time running an open at Red Bluff. And I wasn't that bad. I think I made the fast dash out of 50 cars the first night. So that was mm -hmm. kind of cool. But then the next night I qualified like 30 something. I dropped anchor in both my heat races. So now I'm sitting in a D main event in that and a C main event in the 250s. And I was like, my Sunday, the final night is gonna be a long one. A lot of time. I gotta wake up early, we gotta get both cars ready. And this is back when I was running my own stuff in the 250 and in the open. So this West Coast Nationals, I don't know what happened. I don't know if I just got some sort of feeling, but I was able to drive from the C main event to the A main event in 250s, and then from the D main event to the A main event in opens. Which is awesome and phenomenal, by the way. And if you didn't listen to the last podcast, Jimmy Elledge went from the E to the A. Yes, but our the, last guest. Yeah, the D to the A is still extremely hard. Oh, doing the soup, um, whether it's a weekly show, whether it's the West Coast Nationals, it doesn't matter. It's all right. the same guys. It's just people in different spots. But we were able in the opens, it was kind of crazy. So the D main event, I think I ran fourth. I started fourth. So kind of hung out, made it happen, uh, transferred. Then the C main, I started towards the back and I think I passed like eight or nine cars and I literally got the last transfer spot on a slide job with two laps to go. So it was close. So I started 16th now in the B main and you kind of go into it like you want to transfer, but you're almost like there's no way. There's, right, there's just right. no way. I'm a rookie. You look at who's in the B main event. This could be an A main event on a weekly show. It could right. be an A main event at any, any, other, other, tra track. any other track. So there's no way I'm going to make it. And sure enough, I miss a wreck, miss a wreck, pass a car, pass a car. And all of a sudden, I think I was into eighth and sixth and seventh got together. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting sixth, yeah. 16th to sixth in probably six or seven laps. And I'm like, all right, I got my hands full. Not only am I going to have a target on my back because I'm in one of the last spots, yeah. uh, I got to get up on the wheel. And I think I missed a couple more wrecks, but also made some good passes on a restart and ended up uh, getting to third. And I think I finished fourth. So mm -hmm. transferred into my first open A main event at the West Coast Nationals. That was kind of cool, that D to A run. And then in the 250, I wouldn't say it was easier, but you know, obviously you're racing against a 250 class of drivers. So we were able to just kind of do our normal thing. Got in a couple of wrecks, but the card still went my way. And I think yeah. I ran second in the B, started in the back of the 250A, didn't, uh, didn't go as far up front as I wanted to. I think we ran fifth. And then in the opens, I think I made all the laps and ran like 12th or 11th. So yeah. that was a huge accomplishment for myself. And that's uh, one of those nights I always look back on because it is on the YouTube channel. We documented it. That was when I first started vlogging. You kind of, you almost wish you could just relive it to take it all in because right. of so much that happened in such a short amount of time. And that's a lot of driving. And not only that too, is the way this event works is like Friday and Saturday are for the most part, pretty laid back. And then right when you get to Sunday, you're on the track at 8, 9 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, if you're in one of the first main events like and, I was. And that is super 
unique to a driver that races there your whole life and you're not you're used to getting on the track at maybe 2 3 p.m at the soonest later in the afternoon and then now just to get right into a race at red bluff at 8 a.m i remember when i was you know starting an open and i was in those lower mains i was like i'm I'm tired i'm ready to go back but um that's super unique for sure yeah it's just a long weekend of racing and and that obviously made it a little bit longer for us on that particular uh, night i think in total we did like 160 or 200 laps i don't remember how many cars we passed but it was probably in the range of 50 to 70 to transfer into both a main events yeah now the next one that we need to talk about is actually from 2015 my or i guess it was my second uh year being in the 250 at the west coast nationals yeah it was probably your third i think my third second to last year yes yeah (laughs) Yeah. before you moved up out of the class and maybe you could tell a little bit about this story because we were both actually racing for a good period of the aiming event yeah uh i know this this nationals in particular uh is when we kind of started to put our 250 program together and we were getting really fast and uh i remember you know racing good I i don't quite remember what we qualified stuff that was so long ago but i do remember the racing uh you know the west coast nationals track it's kind of unique as well because by the time the mains come around, it's rubber. And at the time, uh, Red Bluff wasn't really known to going rubber. It was known to going dry slick. And then now now we're racing on rubber in the 250s and then in the opens, we're really rubber down. Yeah, we're racing on it on a regular basis. And now that, yeah, yeah. So now it, at our time, we're like, hey, this is, this is the slickest we've ever raced on. So uh, we had a three on for sure. And I know we were dicing it up quite a bit. And then uh, we we're all around the top five. And then I think, is this the year uh, you were racing pretty hard with the leader? And I think I was sitting third. And I watched all this happen in front of me. Yeah. So I was, I led a good amount of the race. I yeah. started on the front row. I was next to Tanner Carrick. And I think we had a little battle at the beginning. Yeah. Like Bennett said, I was third or fourth. It was when everyone there. was experimenting with harder tire compounds. Yeah. Well, I got some advice from some open guys. So we had a 33 on, which is a harder tire compound than an 11. Yeah. Tanner Carrick had an, an 11, 11 on. You had a 33. And I think a couple other guys might've had a harder tire compound as yeah. well. It wasn't, it was not common to do this. It was then. not. No. So we kind of tried some stuff. We really tightened up my car and I was flying. I got out front because I had so much speed because my car just was locked into the ground. My tire wasn't fading at all. It was actually getting better. Better, And on a late race restart, three laps to go, I decided to go late in the box and me and the 83 hooked and it sent me into the wall and I got hit by at least half the field. I'm flipping and it was actually one of my harder wrecks where I I, I wouldn't say I got injured, but just how I landed. I mean, it, it did not feel good. It took me a second to get off the track. So I led 27 of the 30 laps and i was like man that like what 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 do you do almost won the race and do that close not only that this was like one of the hardest things for me is knowing that the race is at the end and that happened i watched you and obviously tanner's like my best friend and i see this happen well i actually took the lead off of that and i was leading coming down the back stretch and they turned the red flag on well uh tanner i think who you got together with got out of the wreck and so tanner wasn't charged with the spin and so the, that put, and the race reverted back a lap it reverted back a lap so that put me into second and then tanner was on the pole and at the time was it california restarts i believe it was yeah california restarts so he was leading the race and i was down on the bottom so uh you know i always look back and it's always you should have could have woulda and i always think dude i should have went to the top but back then it's like it's so slick the cars didn't really handle the best when everyone's just training on the bottom so fast and 
I remember what was happening is his tire was corded. It was down to yeah, the Yeah, the 11 burned off completely, and he was blowing up. Right. A bunch of oil was coming out. It was smoking the whole field. I couldn't see nothing. He was smoking for the final couple laps. He was corded, and then I was just on him literally the final couple laps, and I was like, if he would have got charged with that, I would have picked up my first West Coast Nationals win because you two got together. But uh, that was just, you know, one of those things you just got to bite the bullet and take second there because I didn't, you know, I'm a clean racer. That's why I kind of pride myself on and I wasn't going to turn him because I've just never, you know, thought to turn someone to win him. I should have probably got him a little loose, but uh, uh, we came home second that time, sadly. Yeah, so that was 2015, and then the following year, our final year in 250, yeah. we all battled it out once again, and I think what happened was early in the race, Tanner Carrick and I were battling. We got together for the second year in a row. We both got sent to the back because we yep. stalled. We were kind of throwing some slide jobs, connected, I think, a right rear to left front, yep. and we both got sent to the back. Bennett, that also, that gave Bennett another chance right there. I yeah. think you were in second. So I was, so it was you two and I was running third and then you two got together. Well, the way it worked is I was up on the top, you two get together and I went to miss you. Well, here comes Blake, uh, Blake Carrick right on the bottom. Uh, so Blake got the lead right off that corner. And so now I'm in second again and I'm like, oh my gosh. And there's not much to go here at all. No. And uh, I, I remember looking back, I was thinking to myself, okay, look at the year prior, should I go to the top? What should I do here? And so I think I did go to the top this time. And I think we had a couple laps to run and I went to the top and I was kind of moving and then we get the white flag and then you poke a nose under me and three and or one and two. And I remember going down the backstretch. I, you know, I was, I was up on top, you were down low and my motor went like it was gone. I think it started blew up. up. It started blowing up right there on the last lap, the last stretch. So Tanner, you ended up getting me and then uh, we came home third, you came home second, but you drove it back up from literally starting in the back, right? Yeah, we started, I think we restarted 14th, 15th, 16th, yeah. and I think we had maybe 10 laps and we were able to miss a couple wrecks and drove back up to the front, but just was short by one yeah. spot. And I just remember that whole race because there was a couple of red flags, there was wrecks. Obviously I got sent to the yep. back at one point and just the hectic mayhem that went on. And that really is what this event is all about because everyone is gunning for that eagle. And that's where sometimes you get surprise winners yep. because last lap, desperate moves that yep. puts maybe a guy that's third or fourth in a spot to win the race or inherit a win, but still you have to put yourself in those spots to succeed. And not only that too, is like, that's, I think in my opinion, the most stressful race you could ever race and not in a bad sense, but you're just always thinking, what do I do? So with Red Bluff and the Nationals being so intense, I know sitting under red and whatnot, you're always just thinking to yourself, what do I do next? And that's just kind of the state of that sort of racing at West Coast Nationals. And I know in the years past, there's kind of been some controversy and that's just how it goes, especially at the Red Bluff Outlaws. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where the saying goes, that's just Red Bluff and that's what happens. Uh, the last West Coast National story that we want to talk about is 2014. I actually got the Golden Eagle for the first and the only time so far in my career. It was in the box stock my last year in that in that division I started fifth and what's funny about this is I, I'm not going to say I was the first person but usually the box stocks never really ran the top side of the racetrack yeah. and it started happening maybe in the later part of 2014 maybe 2013 and we actually set my car up to do it for this nationals a main and I was able to use the top 
just like you would in an open or in a 250 and put a crossover move on the leader. We have that footage and I was able to win my first West Coast Nationals. And after that, I moved down to the bottom and was able to check out on the last couple of laps and how cool that was. That was back when I don't think they had a Sunday show. It was only on Saturday night, yep. but a pretty full crowd. So many people in the hot pit. Everybody's watching. No one's just sitting at their trailer, you know, skipping out on even the box stock or the beginner or the sportsman divisions. Everyone was just tuned in and to win that. I mean, like I said, it doesn't... There's not even a lot of other things that kind of compare right. to winning one of the biggest outlaw cart races, and that's what we're going to be gunning for uh, here in just a couple of days. Right, and especially at a young age, uh, just I remember going into that event thinking if I could win this, that would be the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, so that's kind of what, uh, no, no matter how old you are, if you're young, you're old, uh, the Nationals means the same to everyone. So that's going to kind of wrap up that segment. We are going to finish this off with a fan question, yeah. and it is actually from Sinjin Sampson, sent it to Bennett's Instagram. He said, what is your favorite snack at the racetrack? That's easy for me. Uh, so I think Bud's Jolly Cone uh, supplies all the food at the Red Bluff Outlaws, and it's easy. Uh, cheeseburger at the track, go to every time. I don't know why it's so good at that point at, at that Red place, Bluff. but um, I really haven't been to any other. Uh, motorsports parks that offered food that's any better than that. Yeah, Red Bluff does have a pretty good concession stand, and I'd be interested because we haven't been to a bunch of different places mm -hmm. throughout the United States. You guys need to answer this one right. as well. Let us know which track you've been to has the best concessions, food, whatever item it is, let us know. The best one I've seen that I haven't been to, I think, is Eldora. has one of the best price menus that you could go to, so I think when we get a chance to go back there someday, we're going to have to go check yeah, it out. Yeah, it would be fun to check out the Big E and some of the other tracks and what they have. As far as myself, believe it or not, I don't eat a whole lot on race days. Mm -hmm. I try not to, especially in outlaw carts because the 500s have a vibration. So this, this sounds weird, but after I eat and you get nervous and like just all of that combined with sitting in the car and staging, it just doesn't set well with me. That's usually right. when I maybe start to feel sick or something. So I try not to eat, but if I do, I'm a similar guy, maybe chicken strips and fries in the middle yep. of the night, a hamburger, anything along the lines of that. Or sometimes I just like to munch on a little bit of candy. Yep. Jolly Ranchers throughout the night. Don't eat anything. That kind of keeps me good. Drink a lot of water and maybe even some Gatorade to kind of uh, keep me up. But other than that, I don't eat a whole lot on race days. And not only that, too. That's just at the Red Bluff Outlaws. But when we go and travel, <clears throat> give credit where credit's due. A big shout out to... Uh, Mama Holmes for Mama Holmes. supplying the best food and always. You weren't here uh, at the dinner table after the podcast dropped where you said that my dad, he wasn't offended, but he was like, he's like, he didn't get the credit that he felt like he deserved because my dad does a lot of cooking as well. Right, right. And I think uh, he definitely takes the cake when we're at your house cooking because he makes some really good yeah. barbecue. He usually does a lot of the, the menu planning going right. into Speed Week and then the grocery right. shopping and, and stuff like that or, or a big weekend like we have coming up for yeah. West Coast Nationals for the QRC team yeah. and things like that. So let us know what your favorite snack is at the racetrack, whether it's something you bring, a concession yeah. stand item. Uh, we would love to hear. So that's going to wrap up episode number eight. Let us know what your guys' thoughts are on the episode yeah. with just Bennett and I. We love them because it's just a chance to talk about dirt track racing, things that we love, what we're up to, and some of the funny stories like you heard us getting pulled over at 3 a.m. <laughs> or uh, some of our cool West Coast Nationals adventures that we had yeah. uh, in the past years. Oh, yeah. It's uh, super fun to do these episodes just because we get to talk about things that uh, like you said, they don't make them in the videos or whatnot. And we just have so many stories and really not enough time still to explain them all or tell them all. But 
that's why we love the podcast. Yes. So let us know who you want to see as our next guest. The next episode will be with a guest and we'll be having that to you next Wednesday at 3.30 p.m. Like I said, make sure to check out our other YouTube channel that's going to be just for Off the Track. You'll be able to watch all the full episodes there and we would love to hear your guys' feedback. Anyway, we're almost to double digits and we will see you guys all in the next one. Remember, you can listen also on Apple Podcast or Spotify for just the audio version. Anyway, see you guys all in the next one. We are going to be signing off and we will be back at the Red Bluff Outlaws next weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track and it is time to drop the hammer.